a few weeks ago we're in the the sixth lesson so to speak and that is the it is the sixth title in this series um, we've had different parts of different lessons as well this is a part two we began last week looking at the song God's family and oh what a, a wonderful song that is it's a song that provides much comfort to many people uh, it's a song that uh, is very special, uh, especially in regard to the church. It's a song that, that I have sung all my life. Uh, in the Friday night singings, I remember uh, attending the Clearview congregation once a year. And that's the song that they begin their singing with every year. It's been that way for a very, very long time. I don't know if it's uh, maybe from the beginning, uh, but I know that uh, Morgan Moore, who who has passed from us, he, he was one of the ones that had a great part in the Friday night singings, and, and this was kind of his song. This is the one that they began with, and it was very special in that regard. We began last week by looking at stanza one. The words and the music both are, are written by a man by the name of Lanny Wolf, and these are the words that he wrote, at least for stanza one. We are part of the family that's been born again part of the family whose love knows no end. For Jesus has saved us and made us his own. Now we're part of the family that's on its way home. Last week we looked at, at three basic themes of this verse. That the family of God is a loving family, and certainly it is. A family formed in love that also manifests or demonstrates love both toward brethren and those outside of the body. We want to show love to all people. It is a saved family, a family that by the love and grace of God is saved from sin, hinged upon obedience to the commands of Scripture. We also need to be obedient. Uh, we understand that that faith and grace alone does not save us, but we also have a, a responsibility toward God to be obedient uh, to His will and to the words that we find in Scripture. And, and we also saw that it was a traveling family. And by that I mean that, that it is a family that does not belong to this world, but to God and whose inheritance is eternally with Him. And that's kind of an overall theme of the, the entire song, uh, even in the chorus, but uh, we'll look at that in a moment too. But we see that we are a loving family, a saved family, and a traveling family. Our focus for these lessons is on learning what the family of God looks like from the inside, or what it should look like. That's not to say that there aren't congregations that are struggling in that area. There are some congregations that are struggling in their relationships with one another. And that's a very sad thing to see. Uh, however, uh, we understand that, that that's what God wants. That's what we should desire. Uh, I think we, we've recently been studying Revelation and we studied the seven churches and we spent a great deal of time with those. And... We saw seven letters that were written to these churches, and 
the way I understand it at least, is that all the, the churches received all seven letters. And so they understood about each congregation, the, the strength and the weaknesses of each church. And they, they saw what they needed to strive for as, as the, the message was given to them. These were things that they needed to work toward to be what God wanted them to be. We have all seven letters available to us, and it's up to us to, you know, I think we need to, to go back and try to identify with at least one of those churches. We would all like to be the Church of Philadelphia, the faithful church, but that may not, not always be the case. And so we need to work toward being what God wants us to be in that regard. And so our focus on these lessons is, is just looking at what the church should be from the inside, what God wants His church to be. And hopefully we, we, we are getting a, a good idea of what God desires in regard to the family. So today we're going to get into stanza two. We're going to look at, at the words here and see what they mean to us. We're going to begin with facing the good and bad in this life. Facing the good and bad in this life. Certainly our lives are intermingled with both. And so it's important how we deal with those things. We begin with stanza two, line one. When a brother meets sorrow... We all feel his grief. When a brother meets sorrow, we all feel his grief. I think we need to begin with an understanding of what grief is. A definition, if you just Google it, the first thing that comes up, at least first thing that came up for me, deep sorrow, especially that caused by someone's death. And especially in this song, the thought is contextually tied to the next line that we'll look at in a moment when he's passed through the valley. Um, and really that's kind of a, a theme going forward. You know, we are going to face loss in this life, loss of loved ones. And even when we do face the loss of loved ones, uh, we are together in that. So when a brother meets sorrow, when he does deal with grief and even the deepest sorrow that we could imagine, we all feel it. We are all touched by it in some way. That's the way that the family of God should be. Our lives should be so intermingled with one another that that is the experience. That's the thing that we feel whenever someone else is facing grief. So just for, for this point of the lesson, just for this part, let's focus on dealing with grief. No one should be forced to deal with the, their own deep sorrows alone, but especially not within the church. That should never be the case, that even someone that is a member of the church, that is a part of a congregation, that they have to face their struggles alone, that should never, never be the case. And we'll, we'll look at that. That's going to tie in with the end of the lesson too. But we should never be alone in those things. As a physical family, would it deal with grief together? You think of a parent-children relationship. Uh, if a child, for, for instance, 
is is injured in some way is a parent not going to feel that in some way are they not going to want to to try to to take care of that 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 grief that they're dealing with and maybe even take that on themselves as parents we want to take that away from our children we don't want them to deal with those deep sorrows and so the whole family is affected when one is affected whether it be by by physical injury or, or whether it be some kind of internal sorrow the whole family is affected by it or even parents with their own parents you know as 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 they get older and and they they have to care for them you know that's something that a family deals with together that's the the whole idea of the 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 family in and of itself whenever we think of the word family we think of of those kinds of things and so just as a physical family would deal with grief together within that family, so a Christian's burdens are shared by his or her spiritual family. That's the way that God wants it to be. Sometimes those burdens are physical burdens. And we see that the family is to be together in dealing with those physical burdens. Look at Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 44 for a moment. Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 and following. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Some words that I want you to pay attention to. Going back to verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Just kind of illustrate what's going on here. We have the, the Jerusalem church in its, its uh, very infancy. Um, it is just beginning. And yet these people are tied together. Their lives are intermingled with one another. They have all things in common. You think of, of their Christianity to start with. They became members of this same church. They all believed in God and they were all striving to serve in the way that they had been taught by the apostles. And so the, you had many people from the way I understand it. You had many people that had come to Jerusalem that in the beginning of the church they, they stayed there for a while even though it was not their home. Well, they're going to face a, a great deal of needs. Well, the members of that church came together to provide for those needs. But they, they were very uh, much so together in their dealings with these physical burdens of others. Uh, we read the very similar in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. 
And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And we read especially in verses 36 and 37, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 are the only ones that we are told of keeping something back for themselves. And we see what happened to them. They died. But we have the, uh, the other side of it. We have a man by the name of Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, who's especially mentioned as doing on the behalf of others. He was thinking on behalf of others how he could benefit the lives of those around him. He was a great encouragement throughout Scripture, as we see in his relationship with Paul and other Christians throughout the New Testament. Beyond sharing their physical burdens, however, these new Christians also shared in the daily struggles of life. They, they spent time together. They were together in each other's homes on a daily basis. And we can infer that, as we do with family and friends, they shared in the emotional sufferings of their fellow brothers and sisters. I'm sure that you have people, whether they be Christians or not, that you would turn to in time of, tr of struggle, in time of trouble. And that you would call and, and talk to them about whatever you're dealing with. I'm sure you have those people in your life. What greater blessing do we have than having brothers and sisters in Christ who are also on their way to heaven that can help us to deal with those struggles? That, that relationship is greater than any relationship that we may ever experience in this life, or at least it should be. The closest people to us should not necessarily be our blood family or even our best friend, unless our best friend is in the church. It should be brothers and sisters in Christ. Our lives should be intertwined and intermingled with one another in such a way that we are drawn closely to one another. This is our forever family. I'll borrow a term from another preacher here. But this is our forever family. We're always going to be together, even in eternity. If we have been found faithful, if we make it to heaven together, then we will spend an eternity with one another. You can't get much closer than that. And so those should be the closest relationships to us. But even beyond sharing in these physical burdens and, and the daily struggles of life, let's not forget that sometimes we have good things that we experience together. And we also share in the joys of life. Rejoicing when one is added to this family of God. When one obeys the gospel and is added to that family by the Lord, that's a, a time of great rejoicing. 
supporting a brother or sister in a common goal or particular good fortune. Uh, when something grand has happened in their life, we celebrate, do we not? And we should. Those things are important. Those things are good for us. This is what the family of God looked like in the first century. And it is also what the family of God should look like today. We face in a lot of things together in this life. But there are also many struggles that come toward the end. And so let's look at facing the end. In stanza 2, line 2, when he's passed through the valley, we all feel relief. When he's passed through the valley, we all feel relief. It is a great comfort to be assured of a loved one's salvation. And though we are not judges of others, uh, I, I'm not the supreme judge. I'm not the one that's going to decide whether you enter into eternity with God or you enter into an eternity in punishment. I'm glad that I'm not the one that decides that. But though we are not judges of others, we can be assured of the promises of God and the eternal reward that awaits the faithful. Yes, God judges the heart of an individual, and that's something that we cannot see. However, seeing the way an individual has lived gives us a glimpse of their heart. And it's hard to imagine that, that someone that does so many good things can have the wrong heart. It is possible. Um, but whenever we look at someone's life, we kind of judge based on how they have lived, whether they are faithful to God or whether they are not. Relief is provided when we observe a brother's faithful life of service to God. When we see someone that, that has remained faithful all of their life, uh, those are, are, you know, I've had to, I've only had to do this three times. Actually, I've been given the opportunity to do it three times. But to perform, um, or actually not, I'm thinking of weddings, funeral. I've only done one funeral in my life. And uh, the only funeral that I did was for a faithful child of God. And that was an easy funeral to do. Um, weddings are a great occasion to come together and to be together. We rejoice in those things. But, you know, there are some funerals that are very difficult. I've not had to do that. But, you know, I'm sure that, that I will at some point if I live long enough. Um, but it's easy to perform a funeral, to lead a, a funeral ceremony for someone who has been a faithful child of God. And so that's, that's something that, that we rejoice in. And, and as we, we can really come together and celebrate the life. Now that's something that, that seems kind of new, a celebration of life. But it's easy to celebrate the life of a faithful Christian. And so there is relief that is provided when we observe a, a brother's faithful life of service to God. And when we reflect back on his life or her life. And it's a great comfort. So when he has passed through the valley, we all feel relief. The idea of passing through the valley in death is presented first in Scripture. And maybe Psalm 23 is exactly what was in mind 
when Lanny Wolf wrote this psalm, especially in verse 4 of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Though we may face dark and perilous times, maybe dark more so because of the mystery behind them, that we can't see what is ahead. That's something that, that, that bothers us. And so maybe it's dark for that reason. Maybe it's the darkness uh, of ignorance, so to speak. The darkness of what we do not know. But even in facing dark and perilous times, we have no reason to fear when God is with us. David, as a shepherd, he recognized God as the great shepherd who would guide and defend in time of difficulty, providing great comfort for him. The comfort recognized by David is not just for those facing difficulty, but also for the loved ones who face the difficulty with them. Though a loved one has passed through the valley, there is no reason for dread on behalf of a Christian. And again, we have this idea of never being alone. We are never alone. One of my favorite songs, it's uh, not, in, not a very common song anymore, uh, but it's in some of the older books. No, never alone. No, never alone. Uh, even when we see the lightning flashing and uh, we feel the thunders roll, we are never alone. Whenever we face deepest darkness, we are not alone. You're never alone as a Christian. Stanza 2, lines 3 and 4 of God's family. Together in sunshine, together in rain. Together in victory through His precious name. No, the Christian is never alone. The family of God is always together in the good times and in the bad. We have the example of the first century church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul understood this. And Paul writes this to the Corinthians. That they be perfectly joined together. Even in our reason for assembling. In Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another. In order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Our reason for assembling is that we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And you can't do that apart, so we must come together periodically or even daily uh, and have those close relationships with one another. You know, we have our midweek Bible studies often and the reason for that is that we not just assemble on the first day of the week, but that we find time in the week to be together once again for that purpose, the same purpose of edification, of building up the brotherhood and preparing us. Uh, you know, a lot of times I feel 
that, that it does prepare me for the week ahead. It makes me stronger in the next few days until we can get to Sunday. And so it can be a very good benefit in that regard. Let's look at the chorus of the song. And sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven. God's family. The final line expresses the uh, representation of God. Uh, the final line, I'm going back to the verse, okay? Together in victory through his precious name. And so when we look at, at what that means, it's an expression of the representation of God and Christ who is always with us. First of all, in life, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He is an ever-present help in this life, in our times of need. He has promised that he will not leave his children. He will not forsake us. He is there. We may face some of the greatest difficulties in life, but God is always there with us. And not just in this life, but also in eternity. I reflect back on some of the words from Revelation 21. Revelation 21, let's look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. In verses 22 through 24, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no, no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. God is with us in eternity. That's one of the greatest blessings, if not the greatest blessing, of what we are looking forward to in heaven. That God is going to be present always. I think one of the darkest things that, that we are told about hell it is not the, the fire and brimstone, not the, the torment or the punishment. But I think one of the most significant things about hell that makes it a punishment is the absence, the eternal, forever absence of God. That kind of darkness is not to be compared with anything that we could imagine in this life. So I do hope that we are on our way to heaven together, that we have that experience together, that we are closely knit that we are closely bonded together in that common goal of eternity. If you've not become a Christian, if you've not obeyed the gospel, uh, then, then certainly I would encourage you to take care of that if I can help you in that need, 
then please let me know. We know what we're taught in Scripture. We know that the Jews on the day of Pentecost, what were they told to do? They were told to repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And that's the same command that is given to all of us, that we also repent and that we are also baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. We know that we also must remain faithful throughout life on this earth so that we can be judged faithful in eternity. We're all striving toward that goal of heaven, but may we always do so together. We are together in time of grief, in time of sorrow, in time of joy. We are together even when we face the end of this life. When we pass through the valley, we do so together. We realize that we are never alone. Not only do we have brothers and sisters constantly around us, but we know that God is always with us as well. I hope this is an encouraging lesson, and I'm glad that you have, have been with me today. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy and righteous Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for this time together. We thank you again for the opportunity that we have had to be able to study together and to be together even though we are physically apart. We pray, Father, that that we would not take that togetherness for granted. Help us to strive as brothers and sisters to be an encouragement in the lives of one another. Help us to be what you would have us to be. We pray again that you would be with us in these times that we are facing, all those who, who are facing illness and even those that are facing death because of it. We pray that you would be with them, that you would care for them, that you would provide them with the comfort that only you can. But help us to to share your light and your love throughout this world in any way that we may have the opportunity to do so. And we are thankful for the ways that we are given to be together, even when we are apart. We pray that you would give us encouragement, that you would give us strength in the, the coming days and weeks. We pray, Father, that you would bless us as a nation and bless us as your church. Help us to to deal with these difficulties in the best way possible, but help us to look always to you for guidance. We're thankful for your son, for his sacrifice for our sins, for all that he means to us that is through Jesus that we humbly pray. Amen. Thank you for being with me today.